Hello and welcome to Fly With Your Shadow, the podcast all about music, mental health and illness, and the mess that the COVID pandemic has made of all of it. I'm Jeff Robson, and this show comes to you from my home in Winnipeg, Manitoba. I've had the great fortune of getting to speak with many established and successful artists that I know and have been fans of for a long time already on this show. But sometimes it can be fun to get to know someone new as well. That's the case with this week's episode, as we'll hear from someone that I was pretty unfamiliar with before our chat, but that I'm glad I got the opportunity to learn a lot more about. My name is Bryce Thomas. I'm a singer-songwriter from Oakville, Ontario, Canada. Bryce Thomas just released his fourth full-length album under his own name, but music has been his passion almost as his entire life. That new album, called Across the Neuro Seas, was written and recorded almost entirely alone during the pandemic. The album shows a lot of growth and insight and talent. The album's name and interesting cover art, which uh, shows two very different images of the artist, are in part a reference to the difficulties that he's had to overcome before getting this far. Bryce Thomas has struggled with anxiety and depression and self-doubt for a long time and was only fairly recently diagnosed with a bipolar disorder. The music and the lyrics are far from a downer, however, as the album is playful and lively and entertaining, much like this conversation. I once had a marvelous dream To build my own perpetual motion machine It would dance I would imagine that a lot of people like myself are kind of new to your music, new to your name. What can you tell us a bit about your history? You know, like on Netflix where they give you the season recap from the last season before you start the new season. That's what we need here a little bit of. Yeah, we probably have to go back 10 seasons or so, really. (laughs) I would consider myself a a Netflix show that uh, you find and then realize it's, it's, so, you know, quietly been, uh, it's been on that long. Yeah. It's been on for quite a while. Um, I've been a lo- a lifelong musician, um, started, you know, young age, six years old, had my first band in grade three. Um, so music has always been a part of, part of who I am and my passion. Um, you know, throughout my teens uh, as well, being in various, uh, bands and whatnot started, kind of recording with a four track recorder songs I was writing in my early teens um, started with piano when I was little. And then, and then like most guys picked up the guitar as a, as a teenager. And, uh, but you know, was always had a very good ear. So I've picked up a lot of instruments over that time. I played a lot of instruments and uh, you know, throughout my twenties was in a number of bands as well um, in the uh, Toronto area. Once I moved to Toronto after university and uh used to run a songwriters workshop um in a in a small venue in toronto called holy joe's during the late 90s uh which was always great and really styled it along more of a true kind of songwriter circle workshop so uh not so much an open stage as it is people could play a couple songs and ask for feedback and all that sort of stuff so it was really great thing um and then in the uh in 2000 I got married and we left Canada for two years and just traveled all over the place. We were in, got married again in Italy, um, our second wedding for the Catholic side of the family. And we were in living in Greece and in Egypt, um, down into New Zealand for about a year. 
uh, Thailand for a few months. So we were all over the place for a couple of years until kind of that urge to kind of set down some roots brought us back to Canada. We would have stayed in New Zealand, quite honestly. That is like Canada done right. It's it's the perfect size, same same kind of uh, culture and community. Uh, you know, dual bilingual and and you know with the Maori. Uh, but done right, where they're actually part of government. Um, news is in both official languages. Uh, you can get from the beach surfing to the to mountain skiing in the south, all within half an hour. So, uh, wear wear bare feet in the grocery stores. At least you could back in <laughs> in the early two thousands. You could wear bare feet in the grocery store. No, everybody was chill and uh, nobody really fussed about things. Um, but you know, our, all our family are here, and it's a very long plane ride. And I also felt, although I was, you know, kind of writing songs as we were traveling around in a van, and my wife is also musical and plays uh, guitar and, and occasionally writes a song or two, um, you know, just kind of itching to get back. And part of that also is this is where my kind of musical roots are in, in the Toronto area. And, you know, the people I play with and all that, um, not expecting though when I came back that... My drummer had moved to New York. Uh, my songwriting partner had moved to England. <laughs> you know, I only only had my uh, longtime friend uh, Chris Monster, who was uh, played bass with me. And uh, so, so, but that's when I, after I, we got back from traveling, when I sort of officially wrote my first, uh, recorded my first album called "Once We're Explorers," um, which is is based actually the title off a, a Maori movie called "Once We're Warriors." Uh, which, which you know, kind of captivated me. And I just love that turn of phrase, once we're warriors. And we had kind of put aside our backpacks and kind of were suddenly back into the suburbs. Um, and anyway, so so that sort of started um, my recording career in a sense, although I'd always written music and played music. And, uh, you know, we had I had my CD release party. And two months later, our first child was born. So all the instruments <laughs> mostly got hung back up. Um, we then had our, our second child, my son, 16 months later, it was like Irish twins. And yeah, so it was a full on kind of family household. Uh, so about five years later, I, I wrote and recorded my second album all at home. And uh, I called it Midnight in the Garden because it was all kind of recorded after babies were sleeping <laughs> and also just uh, kind of in in keeping with that uh you know the sort of midnight in the garden of good and evil right and savannah uh story um you know also kind of captivated captivated me that way and uh there you know it was um i had also you know as part of that recording i written a song called midnight in the garden which was a lovely piano waltz um which i you know i'm always uh I'm mostly a, a kind of a folks, uh, folk rock, uh, folk roots singer songwriter. Um, but just, you know, the, when you're playing piano, the kind of the rhythm and the dance of a waltz is, is really quite, quite wonderful. Um, so midnight in the garden was about that. It was about, you know, kind of the midnight in, in the garden of your creativity. Cause at the time I felt very, um, very insular. I'm, uh, you know, I wasn't really getting out at all. Uh, playing music and you know not able to really uh, uh, kind of keep in action with that but at the same time it was kind of where I needed to be kind of an incubation cocoon kind of moment um, and then five years after that it seems to be my cycle <laughs> I recorded my third album uh, as well at home and playing 
you know, all, all the instruments. And that was called Immovable Feast, uh, which was a playoff of Hemingway's novel. And, um, you know, and, and Movable Feast, because it was at the time, it was, again, sort of the idea of being run aground in the suburbs. Um, and, uh, and, you know, really, really do enjoy that process of writing music. And I tend to, once I, ha I, I it is very much like, you know, four years of songs, bits of songs on my iPhone uh, audio recorder and things kicking around. And I tend to just kind of do that, have little bits of songs and I leave them. And then about, you know, four or five years go on, all of a sudden I just, I don't know, I, my creative energy shifts. I go into a bit of a, a manic phase and I tend to then actually write and finish a whole bunch of songs, record them very quickly um, most of them within a week or two. And, uh, and, and then I sort of just run with it and, and get it, um, put together. And at the time, you know, print some CDs and the like. And, um, but you know, I, at, at the end of that third album, Immovable, Immovable Feast, I was really feeling like the, I was missing the camaraderie of, of creating music with other people. Um, and also feeling like I wasn't doing my music really the justice it deserved. I, I really do um, love writing songs. I, I pay a lot of attention to the craft very much. I'm a writer as well, so very much to the lyrics. Um, you know, I, I, I certainly, you know, approach songwriting in, in the sense of a storyteller. I try to keep things interesting with, with the chord structures and change-ups uh, and things like that always trying to create an evocative, evocative mood of some kind. And, and I pull a lot of inspiration from other uh, artists and songwriters, particularly in the Canadian scene. I've always really gravitated towards our homegrown uh, singer songwriters like Oxley Workman and Sarah Sleen, uh, Joel Plaskett and the like. Um, so that's, that's really kind of helped me shape my songwriting. And uh, so it's been a long, slow-burning fuse, right? In the sense of that Netflix idea, um, I, you know, five years after my last album, here I am. Uh, you know, I was, uh, you know, we just entered uh, the first lockdown last spring in April, and it was just that—it just enough for that change-up of suddenly being home, not being chauffeuring kids in 10 different directions. <laughs> uh, everybody at that point too, my teenagers locked themselves in their room, right? So they're not, they're not in the house. Um, and, and I don't know, again, I was kind of going through a very heightened, intense creative phase. Um, and, you know, within four weeks had 12 new songs written and, and mostly recorded. Um, and I was looking at this album and thinking, you know, this is, this is really something that I was really enjoying and, and loving the sound of. And it was less introspective in the sense I'd always typically written songs for, for myself, the songs I felt I needed to write, but knowing full well, they're not exactly, you know, sculpted for commercial purposes or radio and, and all that sort of stuff. Certainly I always thought, Oh my God, this is a wonderful song. I love it. Should be on the radio, should be on CBC music or something. Um, but you know, Hey, it's, four and a half minutes long. And if I was really serious about this, it would be three minutes and <laughs> that sort of thing. Um, but anyways, during the start of the pandemic had, had, you know, quickly put these songs together and thought to myself, this time I'm going to do it 
some more justice. And for me, that was actually working with a producer that can help me kind of refine it better from that outside in perspective, somebody that can bring that expertise uh, on orchestration and soundcraft. And so I, I, you know, started looking around for, for producers of albums that I was enjoying. And um, one of those was Dan Mangan's nice, nice, uh, very nice album that had, yeah, I had wonderful organic rootsy sounds to it. Um, and thought this is this is really nice and and notice that his producer um john critchley at green door studios was right in toronto so i thought well this is perfect and so i call, i just reached out to him called him up uh you know putting putting caution to the wind and thought well here i am i'm, I'm not established at all uh, he normally works with established acts but who knows and he got back to me, he'd listened to my songs, which, you know, at the time I called demos. <laughs> and he thought, and he said to me, yeah, these are, I'd love to work with you on this. And we had thought COVID would calm down by the summer. So I said to him, you know, I'll, I'll give you a shout back in late summer and let's, let's put something together. And COVID kept rolling. And, you know, I am very much the type of uh, creative uh, person that, doesn't like to sit on stuff very long. <laughs> so I had these 12 songs and although I really wanted to work with, uh, work with John to make them better and bring in some actual musicians as opposed to me playing everything. Um, then they started to sit around for four months and I was like, ah, I just, now I thought I'd just kind of get it off my head and out of my lap. And I wasn't sure if it was going to be another year where these songs were going to be sitting around. Um, so the, the process then became, I started looking for a, a mixing engineer because I thought, well, this time around, at the very least, I'm going to have somebody proper mix it because I'd always done that myself as well. And uh, just through the magic of Google, found this guy named Josh Bowman, who's uh, a mixing engineer in Toronto uh, and listened to some of the artists he's worked with in Canada and really liked the spatial qualities to what he did. Reached out to him and he said, yeah, I'd love to, love to mix this for you. And, um, and it, then it became this real kind of moment of serendipity. He had heard, heard my uh, songs, hadn't realized at first that uh, I had recorded all the drums using Logic Pro's automated drummer feature, Drummer X. Um, but, you know, I'm very good at kind of creating nuances uh, with it. I'd gotten better over the years. And once I told him, yeah, it's all pre-programmed, he said, well, then maybe maybe we should get a real drummer on these. And he put me in touch with um, Marito Marquez, who's a, a really fabulous session drummer, but uh, a Latin drummer. He's originally from Portugal. But he, he has a home studio, could record everything remotely. He took all my tracks uh, and recorded to them and really brought just wonderful flavor to it, uh, wonderful kind of nuances on the hi-hats and toms and everything and kind of took it up a level. And, um, and I mentioned to Josh, the mixing engineer that my friend Joe Carvalho uh, was going to master, master it because he's mastered all my albums and he's a very he's mastered everybody's albums. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> so he, uh, I've been very fortunate um, to have known him over the years because he's, you know, been very kind and generous to, to take on my albums. And he was uh, excited to, um, you know, take it from Josh. And completely serendipitously, Josh 
had us a studio right next to Joa, and I had no idea they even knew each other. And then uh, when uh, I was speaking with Marito, the drummer, and I said, yeah, I'm going to have my friend Joa uh, master it. He says, I'm best friends with Joa. So it was this wonderful little on the family moment on this album. And, and so it was nice. I, I felt, you know, that moment where it can be so isolating and, and insular as a songwriter to not just write the songs by yourself, um, but to perform it, record it. And, and then, you know, typically that was my process uh, for a number of reasons. And, you know, they brought together, they, they worked together in a sense and, and brought some really nice flavors. Marito works with a number of brass musicians. So I'd mentioned to him, you know, I kind of heard some brass on, on some of it, some of the songs. And that was the one thing I was kind of lacking. I, I played trumpet on one of my songs, but the others needed proper trombone and tuba and trumpet and you know all that sort of stuff and so he brought in his guys and recorded them for me remotely as well and uh so it was really nice it was i was really you know grateful for their assistance and all that um and so i felt like it was this album i'm, I'm probably my most favorite and, and uh, of my albums in terms of the outcome because of that so although i didn't have a producer it felt less like i just kind of did it in my basement um and I love each of my albums for various reasons for, for what I was able to accomplish with them. But, but across the neuroses, this new album is, um, you know, certainly closer to my heart. Pre pandemic, just to get a sense, how, like how active are you with live performance and stuff? Have you toured much or, or are you playing out a lot? Um, I play out a lot with another band, um, uh, that I'm in, we've been playing for 20 years, uh, called Mobius Stripper which is a full on hair uh, wigs and makeup and platform shoes and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's a really good uh, party band playing everything from David Bowie to Coldplay and the killers kind of thing, whatever gets people up and moving uh, very much not of our band, which is sort of our, our, uh, you know, kind of our, our bar that we set. If it sounds too much like a bar band, we won't do the song. And uh, we re reinvent a lot of them in that regard. Um, that's kept me active. It's kept me, you know, gigging a uh, number of times a year. But for myself, with my own personal stuff, it's been it's it's been few and far fewer and far between. Um, may, mostly because, well, actually, I should say it's it's for a few different reasons. First off, you know, there's the aspect of the family, and you know, I wasn't really eager to start taking time and disappearing for weekends and trying to, you know, pull in gigs uh, from across Canada. Also part of it is because I've always um, had quite a lot of, uh, I could say anxiety around going places. I am a lover of being on stage. It is my preferred place to be on a stage performing. I absolutely hate being in an audience. <laughs> so even at, even at shows, I'm like, get me up on that stage. Uh, I would love to be on that stage playing with this person right now. Um, so once I'm at a venue, I'm, I'm great. I love it. Uh, you know, very, it comes very naturally to me. Um, you know, just the banter and, you know, making, interacting with an audience, right? Connecting them with music, all that sort of stuff. And, uh, but it's hard. It's hard for me to get places and, you know, it's, it's also one of those things that, um, you know, I was raised 
to, you know, have a day job, you know, go to university. Um, music is the thing, you know, my parents recognize as, as something that, you know, I'm very gifted and talented at. And, you know, they, they really love hearing my albums. Um, but it always, the kind of the undertone was, it's not. It's not a real job. <laughs> what you do for a living. <laughs> yeah. And I do have a family to support and, and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, I've, I've been fortunate on the one hand that unlike full-time professional uh, musical artists in Canada, I have been able to have a, a day job where there's that security. And I can create my music without really worrying about that. But at the same time, very much... You know, I'm getting on late 40s, feeling like I've just been underserving my talent and I've really kind of missed out. And, you know, at the, at the same time, you know, although that's certainly why I've been trying to approach the new album, Cross the Neuroses, a bit differently, working with Jason Schneider for PR, um, you know, looking to connect with people such as yourself and, and uh, you know, talk with other people in the industry. I had a great chat with Andy Mays from Skydiggers the other week. Uh, he had listened to the album. We were just chatting about the music industry in general. Um, managed to get Danny Michelle to listen to one of my tracks. Uh, got a bit of feedback there. And, you know, so it's, you know, I'm kind of trying to, you know, through various connections, try and reach out and, and, you know, get some feedback and input from, you know, Canadian artists that are, that are certainly established, which, um, you know, it's, it's, that's what I realized I've been missing less about, you know, how the songs hit with family, family and friends and, and people I don't know, um, more about, you know, kind of feeling like I've always wanted to be part of the larger Canadian music scene um, but for one reason or another, I've just kind of been, um, you know, quietly tolling away on my own. I consider myself, you know, Canada's most famous unknown singer-songwriters. <laughs> so, um, uh, and, and there has been various reasons. You know, I, I really was starting to pick up steam in the late 90s uh, with one of my songwriting partners, Pete O'Neill. And then, as I mentioned, got married and left the country for two years. So there's, you know, came back did an album ready to do a whole bunch of shows had a band uh supporting me and baby number one hit shortly after baby number two came so there's always been kind of these life events that have kept kind of nudging me along uh, the path i've been on uh, but now the kids are older and that kind of itch to get out and, and play live hit right as covid hit <laughs> so here i am yep new album and you know on the one hand Good for me. I don't have to actually go anywhere to play a show. I can just do it online. <laughs> but I'm also, you know, it's it's that's a tough go for any artist to try and, you know, expand your fan base when you have to do it through social media channels, which everybody's crowding into these days. You know, so it's it's uh, yeah. I find I find myself almost humorously. You know, looking at going, well, might have to wait for my fifth album <laughs> to really kind of get out there. Um, and it was one thing, you know, that Andy Mays had mentioned to me that that really resonated. He said, you know, it's it's the industry's changed so much where now all of your recordings, the music you put out there is really just a calling card to get a live to get a live show. Um, and unfortunately, now all the festivals are shut down and, and the venues 
right, or close down. Yeah. But uh, yeah, obviously having having that great music will help once once you're able to get out there. So it sounds like the plan is to uh, like like would you like to start doing some touring and stuff like that and and playing out more under your own name, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I've I've really uh, looked at in particular festivals as as places that I would love to um, get some stage time. Um, which is, uh, you know, a lofty, <laughs> lofty goal to a certain extent. Uh, but even the rib fests and, and local sound of music festivals and things like that, because, because of that being part, more part of the community. Um, you know, I, I, I've played a lot of, you know, Toronto venues, uh, you know, especially in the late nineties when there were a lot of them, say what's and, um, Cameron house and Rivoli and all those kind of places. Um, but they again are, are places where you can get some off the street traffic, but the venue's looking for you to bring in people, right? That was the business. And and so you tended to, it was hard to play enough shows unless somebody's calling up and saying, Hey, would you play with me on this stage for a night or open up for me so you can kind of gang some audiences together? Otherwise, you're tapping into the same pool all the time. So without the, you know, being very practical, um, you know, I'm, uh, kind of a you know i'm a business owner myself and and a writer and creative director and things like that i understand how business works i understand what it means to be a working musician in canada so i have no illusions about that and realizing you know unless i you know want to i'm ready to put some effort into it in terms of touring and you know working with a, a, a booking agent things like that and trying to connect with other artists to, you know, share, share stages and stuff like that. I'm really much more of a, you know, without doing that, I, I just end up in that sort of weekend warrior uh, kind of zone, which isn't as, you know, uh, attractive to me. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so for me, and to answer your question, I guess more succinctly, uh, certainly, you know, some of the more community-based um performance events, you know, would really interest me. Um, I would love to see more of Canada. I've, I've seen a lot of, a lot of places except for Canada. Uh, you know, so there's a bit of that. And, and as I mentioned, you know, a lot of my hesitation is around, you know, just uh, my personal um, kind of challenges with going places uh, and, and being places. I mean, it's, you know, just, just how some of us are. And as a singer songwriter and just an artist in general, you know, there's always that kind of hesitation of, can I do it? You know, am I good? Am I good enough? Um, not knowing how other people do it. <laughs> right. Which is why I've been trying to reach out to, you know, some of uh, the established artists to kind of get a better sense of that. Um, you know, it's always been a bit of a mystery to me. I've kind of dreamed of doing it, not really understood, you know, how do you get, you know, I see other artists and go, how did they get that gig? How are they getting on that show and, and all that? Um, and at the same time, knowing you just got to put a foot forward, right? And as you start to move, you know, things open up for you. You spoke a bit about the challenges and that's a lot of why I do this show. I think there's great value in sharing our experiences with, with the struggles that we've had in life. The, the, the show is called fly with your shadow. It's kind of like, you know, taking the, taking the dark parts of ourselves and, and making something of ourselves 
in spite of that, not letting it hold us back, but, uh, you know, carrying that along with us. And we've heard some amazing stories on this show of, of, uh, musicians who are doing, you know, they're successful and, uh, dealing with a mental illness at the same time. And, and it sounds like you're kind of in the same boat. Oh, abs- absolutely. Um, you know, I was, I was, uh, undiagnosed, uh, for depression, anxiety, most of my life. Um, you know, as a teen had a lot of issues with, um, suicidal thoughts and things like that. Music as a result was kind of my, my go-to place, um, where, where things were safer. Um, (laughs) and, you know, uh, went into a lot of my, lot of my music at the time too, the type of uh, songwriting I was doing. Listened to a lot of a cure at the time, which probably didn't help. <laughs> but uh, y- you know, and and it was as well a cycle. And and I've tried to figure it out over the years because I would go through these um, kind of hard to hard to anticipate cycles of of depression and uh, you know all the like heavy self criticism and rumination um, right through my twenties and thirties and that would hold me back as well as, as a musician and whatnot. Um, it's sort of like that, that, that act of creating something, putting some songs together, putting your personal uh, energy into it. Once I get it out there, I feel so spent. Um, and of course it doesn't help that, you know, I've, I've worked in so much isolation and then when I put it out there, it's all the, self-doubts i hear all the imperfections <laughs> I certainly hear all the imperfections you know this could have been so much better i should have collaborated with somebody even though i find it hard to do um and it really wasn't until a, a couple years ago my my oldest my daughter uh, was diagnosed with uh, depression um adhd um you know anxiety disorder uh, all that sort of stuff, and that was real a real eye opener for me because all of the all the assessment assessments we had to do as parents for her and her own assessments, um, I was looking at these going, oh, "Damn, this is me! This is me! This is me! This is me!" Like I was checking all the boxes, and seeing her as a teen, she was coming into her, you know being sixteen, and seeing so much of myself in her. Um, and then looking back and going, Jesus, like, had I, had I, you know, been made aware of that, this wasn't really normal, um, and that there was ways to, you know, there were strategies I could use medicines I could use. Um, and it wasn't until she was assessed and we were in some family counseling to help support her that, you know, uh, the, the counselor at the time had asked us, you know, what, what we're like. And I started talking about my own challenges and, and she had said, have you ever been assessed? <laughs> you know, cause depression, irritability, which is common for men, um, uh, you know, these cycles of really dark places and, uh, you know, really stalling out on motivation, you know, th- those kind of things. And so I got assessed and, um, you know, the depression was, was, you know, identified, which wasn't surprising. Um, but, uh, I came out the end and, and the actual, uh, assessment was bipolar, which really surprised me because I hadn't really seen the manic sides of my, my kind of 
you know, mental cycle as being, you know, something that was holding me back because that was, you know, sort of every five years where I would, you know, suddenly get this creative surge um, and it would happen more, you know, it happened, uh, you know, almost quarterly or annually to a certain extent. Um, but those real highs where I wouldn't sleep much, you know, and I was just really uh, kind of locked into this creative phase where I just had to do it, I had to create, I had to get the stuff out. And if it wasn't making music, it was building something, you know, building a playhouse for my daughter, <laughs> you know, doing all sorts of stuff. Um, I hadn't recognized that as the other half of of the depression coin. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a Gemini. So I also saw it as just that, that sort of duality of being a Gemini, which I always just thought was that part of my identity. Um, and so that was a bit of an eye opener. And, and also, uh, you know, as a, as a result, it was the question of, well, you know, there's medicines that you can try for that to try and bring up the lows and, and bring down the highs a bit. And, you know, my psychiatrist, you know, was trying to be careful as well that we weren't knocking down the, the highs too much because I do creative things for a living, you know, and I certainly don't want to lose my, my songwriting edge. Um, so, and that was just, you know, a year and a half ago uh, and started on, uh, started on Ciprolex, Citalopram uh, for the depression side of things. And within two weeks, it was like night and day difference. Um, you know, my wife could say to me, Hey, we need to return this item to the store. And I'd be like, okay, I'll go. <laughs> Whereas forget about it beforehand, the stress of that, the thought of having to drive to the store, go to the mall, um, talk to somebody, have a potentially difficult conversation, although they weren't, you know, in my mind, they were, um, even work-wise, you know, I living in Oakville, we're about just a half hour go train from Toronto. Uh, most of my clients are in, in Toronto and the people I work with. But for me to get to the go train and get on it and go downtown, that was that was a very stressful thing. You know, my best my best day was having a meeting canceled. <laughs> you know, having mentally prepared to go somewhere and then not have to go somewhere. Um, but the medicine really made a difference. My anxiety lifted really quickly, um, and I found myself as well, like for the first time, really going, "Man, I want to play out. I don't even care where it is." You know, I'm, I started looking at venues and and uh, I signed up. I got a profile on Sidor, which is Dan Mangan's um, online booking, you know, kind of tool. And started looking at that, feeling like, I, you know, at the same time, I was kind of coinciding with me starting to put new music together. So I was I was kind of, uh, you know, kind of sitting on both both sides of things of wanting to first write some more music and also wanting to get out. Um, and then, you know, I'm, you know, like, like I'm sure a lot of artists that struggle with their mental health, I, you know, was finding after about six months that the medication wasn't working as well as it had off the top. Um, so try to add in, you know, a, a medicine called Abilify to help bolster the Ciprolex, um, f found that this is where, you know, the pandemic uh, you know, I was on it about six months and the pandemic started, things had changed so much. I really, you know, was hitting a manic phase at that time and, and able to recognize that for the first time in my life for, for what it was. And, uh, so my, you know, psychiatrist was a little bit concerned that maybe the Ciprolex was, you know, kind of making me feel 
a bit flat in terms of bringing up the, the depression, but kind of elevating my manic side. Um, you know, so uh, started to, you know, talk about other options and transitioned to a different psychiatrist um, uh, in the fall. And she started me on a, on a new medication that's supposed to work well for uh, people with bipolar. That's actually an anti-seizure medication for, for epilepsy. And, um, and found myself, and this was right at the same time we were mixing my album now across the neuroses. So there wasn't really much for me to do creatively, um, which was fine because <laughs> at the time, switching those medications, the new medication had an extremely slow titration to it um it had to be scaled up over two months and i you know the ciprolex quickly went out of my system within two weeks and then i found myself right at christmas time right as the stay-at-home order was happening right as my you know my album was was finishing up mixing and going to mastering and left completely back to how i was without any you know kind of uh pharmaceutical support uh, so it was really tough over the holidays, and we had a lot of issues uh, with my daughter in particular, um, who was also kind of we were we were really struggling to support her, and um, the medicine was okay for her, but not great. Um, you know, she, you know, we've come to realize that she's probably borderline personality disorder more than she is anything else, and you know. You know whether or not that's more me than bipolar. That's that's also still a, a question mark. Um, so it it uh, I realized that you know as as we were heading into the new year, I was gearing up for the album to be launched and talking to Jason about PR. Um, and at the time, you know, in the last couple of months, I've been just kind of closing my eyes and, and trying to push it forward, trying to push the album forward, and. You know, it's it's starting to lose my confidence in how great the album was. Um, starting to lose my understanding of what I was trying to do with it, which was probably the most disheartening thing. Because at the time when I last spring when I wrote the wrote the songs, I was, you know, I just I saw so much potential in them. I really wanted to share them immediately, uh, but couldn't get out. <laughs> you know, couldn't get out to play. Um, and then now I'm sort of, it's finally ready. Things have kind of relaxed a bit. Um, you know, a lot of people were doing virtual shows. So I thought, wow, this is, you know, what a great moment, actually. I could do a virtual show and, and kind of do it that way. And then all of a sudden losing, losing that confidence, losing that, um, you know, kind of focus in, in my direction and what I was trying to do. Um, and also feeling like, you know, again, I was more of an imposter, really, when it came to the music scene and and being a being a singer songwriter. That all of these fabulous Canadian artists who are now absolutely struggling to make ends meet. Um, you know, it, it's it's one of those things where I don't know if it's so much um, you know me recognizing things as they are for myself or you know really always being passionate about our canadian music scene and thinking the last thing we need is someone like me taking up air uh, <laughs> you know uh, here are all these 
musicians that rely on this of all types, right? Like, you know, not just the really well-known musicians, obviously. There's a lot of wonderful talent that are out there. They're trying very hard to make a living at it, to support themselves, to, to get out there. And I have a day job. So, you know, what right do I have to kind of, you know, kind of crowd the space up even more? So there was that part of it, you know? Yeah, it's kind of funny. It sounds like uh, earlier on, before the pandemic, you probably looked up to the people who were making music all the time and saying, I wish I could be them. And I bet that some of them are right now going, man, I wish it could be you with a stable job during all this and still be able to make music. Yeah, that's that's probably very true. <laughs> that's, that's a good observation. Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, I've always been of two minds, uh, you know, partly, I think the Gemini qualities, maybe because I'm bipolar, um, certainly, certainly because, you know, I, I you know, consider myself um, somebody that can, you know, kind of sit in, sit in somebody else's um, place, walk in their shoes. I, you know, as a creative person, I can really envision uh, those kind of things and you know recognize the fact that at the end of the day it doesn't matter like i i have a need to create i have a drive to create i really do love sharing it out with people um have the typical what i would think are typical kind of reservations and, and insecurities around what people will think of it um you know i have the i think the for what a lot of artists are probably facing these days in terms of you put something out there and it just, it enters the fray of the noise of, of social media and, and not just artists, you know, musical artists, every kind of artist, anybody who's, you know, we're in this age of self-promotion. Um, so Instagram is crowded with people trying to get your attention to hear their stuff, buy their stuff, you know, uh, all that sort of thing. So I, I, I find myself, um, you know, looking at having this album out there and, you know, hoping for, you know, the attention I, I would love for it to have. Wanting it, you know, in that sort of aspirational sense, as you mentioned, that sort of, you know, why why can't I be doing what they're doing? Um, you know, feeling confident in my skills to be able to do that, but at the same time, you know, not being on the radar. Um, and, and, being practical and saying, well, why would I be on the radar? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not out there. And, and I always figured, you know what, I'm not a touring artist. I'm not, it's not my life. Uh, you know, my, my livelihood, I should say. Um, so I should manage my expectations in that regard. Um, so, you know, so it's, it's that push and pull, uh, certainly. You know, it's such a weird time in the music industry anyway. Like, uh, everybody's in the same boat. The industry itself is, uh, <laughs> who knows what it even looks like anymore. So, uh, the, the playing field is probably more level than it's ever been before as far as being able to get your, get your name out there and stuff. And it's, it seems like you're doing the right things. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's certainly, you know, at, at uh, at my age, I, I, you know, have looked at it as like, as I mentioned, like a, a slow burning fuse. Um, but at the same time, you know, I'm, I'm more uh, confident and more um, happy with, with my songwriting now than I ever have been. So I, I look back and go, well, you know, 
the stuff I was writing uh, and and my polish as a as a you know a, a an actual musician and stage performer uh, back when I was my twenties eh, could have been you know I, I feel I'm in a much better place than I am now and and certainly more confident than I've ever been in in terms of uh, personally believing that my music can stand up you know that it can connect uh, it's the type of stuff that I, I truly believe can connect with the listening audience that I, I you know in Canada I think we've been very fortunate to have which is the type of audience that appreciates songcraft um, whereas you know uh, in, in other markets it can tend to be you know more of the mainstream EDM pop pop uh, pop kind of stuff um, so there's that and and yeah I, I'm I am excited by the kind of leveling of the playing field as as you describe it which is a very apt description. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's, I am looking forward to the day things do open up so I can start, certainly start playing out more, uh, very much an aspiration to actually get out, uh, to different places in Canada to perform as well. Um, recognizing that these days venues are disappearing almost as fast as, you know, the, the COVID numbers are rising. So it will be a very, it, it is very much, a, you know, going to be a very different scene uh, if and when things start to open back up. Can you tell me a bit about uh, the, the name of the record across the narrow seas and, and the cover, especially it's got, uh, I don't know whether it's a, a deliberate uh, kind of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde thing going on there, but two very different pictures. What's, what's all of, does that all relate to the, to the bipolar diagnosis or what? It, it, it does actually. Yeah. Um, there's a few different things, uh, in that, um, across the neuroses, uh, you know, um, I'm a, a word person at heart. So the, the play on words of, uh, neuroses and neuroses, uh, is certainly in there. Um, when I started kind of realizing the songs I was writing last April kind of were all coming from a similar place. And, and for me, that place was looking back to the early, so, the songwriters of the early seventies, mid seventies, um, you know, Bernie Taupin and, and Elton John with tiny dancer, um, you know, Bruce Springsteen with born to run and, and Billy Joel and Cat Stevens, you know, they were, they were telling stories, um, that were wonderful. And I've always, you know, aspired to that as well. So when I started writing those songs and pulling it together, you know, one of the thoughts, um, across the narrow seas, uh, really that, that phrase, um, kind of, you know, made me smile, certainly from the guy who had just been diagnosed as bipolar at the time. Um, always consider myself of two minds and, and being a Gemini. Um, but also because, you know, some some other touch points, Elton John had the madman, madman uh, across the sea. So there's a little bit of a, you know, a nod to that. I always tend, tend to have some sort of nod to another creative person, whether it's Hemingway with a movable feast, um, you know, Midnight in the Garden. Uh, that sort of thing. So across the neuroses, I, I, you know, had a few different things for me. I've always uh, done my own artwork for my albums. So all my, all my photography is self, uh, self portraits. Um, so, you know, filming my, uh, taking, sorry, taking photos of myself um, for that cover and, and putting them on. I had a couple of different ones and I thought, well, this is really, you know, speaks to me in terms of that, kind of bipolar aspect uh you know and and so there's certainly that um 
and and you know a, f- a few other kind of creative touch points in that. Um, and and across the neuroses, you know, it, it's the songs themselves, uh, opening with perpetual motion machines, which is sort of a nod to parenthood and and you know kind of where life takes you. Um, you know, it opens up of you know once had a marvelous dream to build my own perpetual motion machine, and and it really is about that sort of thinking you would have this uh, this thing you were going to create, uh, similar to like a, a music career, and then realizing although you didn't end up there you did at the same time. So this idea of creating a perpetual motion machine and then realizing you did. <laughs> They're your kids running around and, and, and really, you know, uh, absorbing all that creative energy. Um, and then there were other, you know, uh, throughout the arc of, that, uh, of the album, um, you know, songs like uh, Young Lovers, which is uh, really of, you know, almost picking up the mantle of a, a Born to Run and kind of playing with this idea of, you know, uh, a, a young couple in, in these day and age, in this day and age, and, you know, kind of the, uh, the, the kind of the fates and the kind of burning out, uh, you know, as opposed to fading away. Um, and, and, but a lot of them were just stories. They're not so much autobiographical necessarily like perpetual uh, motion machines, but places you can go. And, and I think, you know, as a, as somebody who's, thought with rumination and depression and, and whatnot uh, for most of my life, there's always been a healthy dose of, uh, of imagining you're someone else, you're somewhere else. So for me, that kind of informs a lot of my songwriting. I, um, you know, in, in a song like uh, Summer Nights in the Summertime, you know, it's a story about somebody who just gets in their car and starts driving and ends up on the, on the coast of Canada, you know, Atlantic, Atlantic Canada and has someone back home who's just patiently waiting for them to kind of get it out of their system and come home. Um, you know, so there's songs like that and, um, songs like till the end of time, which, uh, I really, you know, I'm happy with as well because it's just, again, this, this story of this kind of free spirited young woman who, you know, doesn't want to, become part of the typical uh, kind of expectations of what you're supposed to be and do. Um, and, and the person who, you know, it, it's in their pulled into their gravity uh, and, and into their orbit. Uh, so there's kind of like the, her story, but in the chorus, this individual who just can't help but love her uh, as a result. So, so these kind of, kind of stories that all kind of are about, love and and relationships and all that sort of stuff and and then you know the odd autobiographical one the, the song that's um called uh getting lost in paris which was a you know kind of a reflection on the last trip my wife and i took a couple of years ago to paris um and you know just that experience of being there with her and us kind of wandering around that old city um yeah so so the across the neural seas really you know is is about that journey uh, you know to to a certain sense um journey to not knowing where um and also that traveling back and forth between the different sides of yourself and uh you know the the songs themselves really unintentionally were all in some aspect had a duality um 
you know, it's, it's professional motion machines. It's, it's myself and my family, my wife, um, you know, the Savannah blue, uh, is another song where it's, you know, kind of a, a story about somebody who's, you know, fallen out of relationship, uh, with somebody and, you know, in a literal sense, traveling from Savannah to, <laughs> to Florida, I've always loved Savannah. It's a gorgeous city. So, and I've always love that idea of personifying a place in my album uh midnight in the garden i I had a song i wrote called venezia which is the italian name for venice um which you know is a place that also i personified as a person as well so savannah blue kind of picks up on that and and then the album across the narrow seas ends with a song called we shall be bound which was very much um an intentionally written piano ballad uh, reflecting on the COVID in the now, which I know is a very <laughs> kind of popular thing for songwriters these days. Um, but We Shall Be Bound, you know, it, it, um, the, the lyrics and, and the piano um, uh, progression and structure, uh, again, I was really kind of pulling inspiration from, you know, old Jackson Brown, like the loadout, a uh, little bit of lyrical inspiration from songs like American Pie, where it's it's almost like a, you know, an accounting, a recounting of a moment of change, right, for society, and and so it is this idea that, uh, like in the chorus, um, the kings and queens are all leaving, and the jesters now wear the crown, right, which is reflection on uh, Prince Harry and Meghan leaving the royal family. Um, Barack Obama, right, leaving office, and then you have the Boris Johnsons and the and the Donald Trumps, uh, you know, kind of wearing the crown. Um, and and despite all this, despite all these, you know, the world, uh, you know, kind of, you know, the the pressures we've, we've been putting on the earth and all that sort of stuff, you know, the earth is still turning, and through all of it, you know, in the, in that sense, we're kind of all in it together, you know, so we, sh- we shall be bound essentially because, you know, we're, uh, it's, it's something that's binding us together as, as much as it is, you know, kind of creating those divisions, certainly. I love how you've taken a lot of serious topics and, and still made it a, a, a light kind of fun listen that it, it, it sounds upbeat and enjoyable. And I think, I, I think a lot of people get something out of it. And, uh, I really thank you for uh, sharing so much of the story behind it. Yeah. Uh, my pleasure. Certainly. And I'm glad you, uh, <laughs> glad you hear also the, the lightheartedness of it. Um, I, you know, I, I do, uh, just as a, a final comment, um, you know, I, I write music with the intention that I want to take people places, but also, you know, kind of bring up the mood and the energy. I think, you know, if, if I was playing this live, can I keep people's attention? Can I make them kind of feel like there's possibility? Um, and I've had mixed uh, comments in that regard. There's a lot of people that say, oh, yeah, I love your album. Uh, you know, it's so wonderful. It's so hopeful. And then my wife will say, you write a lot of dark songs. <laughs> you know, because she hears the, you know, particularly the lyrics. And, and there is that kind of duality of them where, you know, on the one hand, you know, to your point, they, they have kind of serious undertones and, and, and whatnot, but delivered in, and I think, a, a more of a hopeful and certainly energetic way 
So that hopefully, uh, you know, everybody can take that kind of dual journey with me. I hope you enjoyed getting to know a lot more about Bryce Thomas. You can find his music and find out more about him at BryceThomas.com. His albums are also available digitally at BryceThomas.Bandcamp.com. You can find out more about this show as well as hear past episodes and find mental health resources and more at FlyWithYourShadow.com. I really welcome and appreciate any feedback or suggestions or questions that you might have. You can get in touch with me anytime at flywithyourshadow at gmail.com. As always, I would really appreciate any help you can provide spreading the word about the show. If you could take a moment to tell a friend, family member, or coworker about this show, it would sure help a lot. My goal is to get the show out to as many people as possible, and I could really use your help spreading the word. Friends, next week I'll release episode 13, and we're going to prove that sometimes 13 is a really lucky number, because I've got a conversation lined up for you that's probably the most personal, powerful, and interesting talk I've had so far, and that's saying a lot. I'm really excited about that one, and I know you'll be blown away by what my guest has to say. Watch for that new episode on April 23rd. New episodes are always available first at flywithyourshadow.com and you can subscribe right on the front page and have the information and links emailed to you directly the moment the show premieres. Of course, you can also subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and just about everywhere you can find podcasts, but that sometimes takes a little longer. Thanks for spending some time with me and Bryce Thomas today. I really hope you'll come back again next week. Until then, be good to yourselves and others, and have a great week. I'm Jeff Robson, and this has been Fly With Your Shadow. I once had a marvelous dream 